Hey there, everybody, and welcome again to the JC Hoops Podcast. I'm your host, Jackson Collier. Uh, been a rough week and a half, I guess, uh, for the Razorback basketball team. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit, just just a little bit, about those uh, LSU and Alabama games, uh, touch on the Auburn uh, victory for a little bit, and then preview Vanderbilt and finish off with some uh, questions from Twitter from uh, some of my followers on there. Uh, remember, I will be posting, um, I guess, acknowledgments of when I'm going to record my podcast. So be following me on Twitter, um, turn post notifications on if you want, and I will read off your question and answer it uh, on the podcast if you get up, uh, get under one of those uh, posts. Um, but with that being said, I guess I will cut to the sponsorship and uh, then we will be good to go on the show. Uh, today's episode is sponsored by... CJ's Butcher Boy Burgers. CJ's has two locations, one uh, in Fayetteville on Weddington and in Russellville on Arkansas Avenue. Uh, Online ordering is available at the Fayetteville location, and um, they've been voted best fries and burger in in the state, uh, fulfilling their motto, when all you do are burgers, they have to be the best. So go go grab you some uh, CJ's if you're in the Fayetteville or Russellville area, or if you want to Nice little drive for one of the best burgers in the state. So just touching on um, LSU for a little bit, Arkansas got out to a 4-0 lead and then never led again. Um, LSU ended up going on a 40-6 run in the first half. Um, Arkansas was down 31 points at one point. There was no energy. There was no effort. Really nothing pretty at all about that game. Um, J.D. Note uh, sparked a 12-point run in the first half to make it not as bad. Ended up losing by 16, but uh, even even a 16-point loss was a lot closer, uh, or it looked a lot closer than it should have been. Um, Alabama was the same, if not worse, than LSU. I mean, the, 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 the final score was a lot worse. Um, there were really only two bright spots that game. That was Moody and uh, Jalen Williams. Uh, Moody put up 28 points. Jalen Williams, I, th- I thought, played well. Uh, there were some people who thought he turned the ball over too much, which, to be fair, he did He did turn the ball over a few times. But he played with energy. He played with effort and uh, made some good passes. He's proven to be a good post-passer. Scored a few points. I think he finished with 7-10 and 10 or something along those lines. Really good game for him. Um, but still, 31-point loss. Alabama shot insane from outside and they just again no energy no effort um between those two losses that was the largest margin uh of defeat in two consecutive losses since 2016 uh that's that's a lot that's that's a whole five years um since we've seen those big of margins and uh you you look back at the teams we've had since then um, you know, last year was Muss's first year, and uh, on the surface level, you know, you, there were really only seven players on that roster, and then this roster this year, uh, everybody thought, myself included, would be so much more talented than last year's roster, but last year's roster, I think there was only one game, and then that Tennessee game where they actually got completely uh, outmanned, uh, but other than that, they were competitive in every game. The year before that, uh, Mike Anderson's last year uh, had seven freshmen on the roster, and 
Uh, there were some bad losses in there, sure, but there were there was not a um, a forty seven point or yeah forty seven point margin over two consecutive losses. That was um, that was not an issue that year or the year before where a freshman Daniel Gafford and uh, senior Barford and Macon duo went to the NCAA tournament. So it's just you, you look at all those types of teams and. The, the two that really should have had, well, it's really not not really an acceptable stat to keep track of, but uh, you would think either Anderson's last year was seven freshmen where you only go 18 and 16, or uh, a first year for Musselman with an uh, inherited roster that had no size whatsoever. You would think um, when you're keeping a stat like largest consecutive uh, games on, on, on margin, um, you would think that one of those two seasons would be in there, not year two with a completely revamped roster with a, a lot of talent, a potential one-and-done player in Moses Moody. So it's really uh, it's an interesting st- statistic, but um, it is what it is at this point. Um, it, it's in the past, and so the team just has to move forward. And at the start of the Auburn game, it did not look like the team was moving forward. They were down by as much as 19 in the first half. It was just a, just another really bad start. Um, all the same reasons, too. Lack of effort, uh, lack of energy, a uh, bunch of turnovers right off the bat, too. Uh, not making shots, not defending well. It was just really not good basketball for the first 18 minutes of that Auburn game. Um, but to close out the half, uh, cut the Auburn lead to 12, carried that energy over, uh, in the second half and got a much needed win um, at a much needed time too. This is the most favorable stretch uh, of the season of the schedule uh, for the Razorbacks to make some noise and pick up some victories. Um, So they really needed to pick up a home win after being on the road at LSU and at Alabama and at Tennessee. Um, And they got it Uh, at this point. You you're okay with finding a win. However, you can find one. And they managed to come back from 19 down to get that victory. Uh, they almost gave it away at the end, but it, it is what it is, and it's still a W in the in the win column. So now on to Vanderbilt, um, who, like most teams in the SEC, has really strong guard play. They have some guards that can create. Most notably, Scottie Pippen uh, Jr. He's averaging 21 and uh, 21 points and five assists per game, very similar to Sharif Cooper. And Sharif Cooper ended up putting putting up 25 points and four assists against the Razorbacks. He turned it over four times too. Um, I think I think two or three of those came in the second half when Musselman uh, adjusted to a run and jump double team as soon as Cooper crossed half court because the goal was get the ball out of Cooper's hands and stop him from being able to create so much. Um, and it seemed to work. Obviously, Razorbacks ended up with the victory. Wouldn't be surprised to see a similar uh, effort against uh, Scottie Pippen, but here's the issue. Vanderbilt plays guards by committee. They have Scottie Pippen. They have Jordan Wright. They have DJ Harvey, Trey Thomas, Maxwell Evans, all these guys, and there's some decent size in there and some pretty good... Um, pretty good speed in there too, especially with uh, Pippen, Thomas, and Wright. I, you know, 
I think Pippen, similar to Cooper, I think he's going to get his. He's going to score his points. He might not put up 25 like Cooper did, but he's going to put up at least 15, I I would expect. Um, He's just that kind of a player. He's a legitimate basketball player in his second season at Vanderbilt. And I think, you know, even if you run the run and jump again, he might not turn it over as much as, as... Cooper did or as much as Auburn did in general the reason that Auburn got in trouble so much on that run and jump it wasn't necessarily the fact that the the run and jump was forcing Cooper into bad decisions it was that it was forcing Cooper to get the ball out of his hands and for whatever reason Auburn as a team could not handle that a lot of their turnovers were self-inflicted they would bobble the ball out of bounds or they would take a bad shot and and the Razorbacks would get a quick rebound and go in transition which doesn't go in the turnover category obviously but um or they would just lose the ball they'd get frantic and walk or uh there are a few really good defensive plays from from Jalen Tate and uh Devontae Davis uh on rotation defense but I mean a lot a lot of their turnovers were self-inflicted so Vanderbilt doesn't turn the ball over much. They only turn the ball over just over 12 times a game. That's second uh, in SEC play. And, you know, I just... I, I'm hopeful that if, if they use that same strategy uh, of running and jumping up on Pippen, I'm hopeful that we would see the same result. But because of the just sheer number of guards that they play... Um, the number of ball handlers that they do have, I don't think it would work necessarily as well. Um, they do have a couple of really good posts, too. Um, you have Dylan D. Sue and Miles Stute. I think that's how you pronounce his name. Stute, S-T-U-T-E. Um, good size on them. Um, but Musselman mentioned uh, we would see another new starting lineup this week, and I I would figure that would have to include Jalen Williams and uh, Smith, Justin Smith, and they would match up really well with these two forwards that that Vanderbilt has. Desu's probably good enough to get his too, though. He's averaging 13 and 8, 13 points and 8 rebounds a game. I don't really see just completely shutting him down. Uh, there has not been a good track record this season for Arkansas to just shut down good post uh, players. But having Williams coming along so so much and so well right now as a freshman is really going to help uh, alleviate that pressure off of Smith uh, because when Connor Vanover was playing at that starting five position, um, Smith was having to kind of almost guard two people. Uh, Vanover is... He, so here, here's my take on Vanover, and I'm only mentioning this because I've seen a lot of people talking bad about Vanover. And look, he has not played well in conference play, and that's because, number one, he's not fast enough to keep up in the super up-tempo teams like Alabama and LSU. Um, but he's also not exactly big enough or bulky enough to contend with the, the slower-paced offenses like a Missouri or... Auburn's not a slow pace, but they do go inside some. But um, he's not bulky enough to to defend those right now. And a lot of that is because he, when he was sick, he, he had an illness right before the season, and he lost all of the weight that he had put on uh, his sit-out year in the summer leading up to this year. 
He came in as a transfer from Cal at seven foot three, two hundred and forty-five pounds, and that is where he is now. That is nothing for a seven foot for a seven footer, but he's seven three. I mean, they they had him up. I believe they had him up to two sixty-five, two seventy, and at that weight, there is no way that he would get bullied down low as much as he has been. Um, I, I really do believe that that is the main cause of Vanover's struggles in in his situational uh, rotation. Uh, Musselman will even say that he's a situational player. He will play against teams that he can play against. And those teams this season, unfortunately, Missouri and, and Auburn, have really taken it to him because, and, and this is just my belief, that it's because he doesn't have that weight to, to hold his own. He's not playing at the 265, 270 that he was supposed to be because he lost all of it uh, right before the season started. I really think that completely changed in his ability to hold his ground and defend in the post. Um, and I really think that he was going to be a legitimate post defender uh, against some teams this season. Um, but back on Vanderbilt, I don't really see us stopping Disu necessarily or Stute um, just just because we have Williams and uh, Smith in the lineup. Uh, it'll be better. Uh, I'm sure the Razorbacks are going to stop them from getting their averages or better. Um, one has to believe so at least, but the real issue is going to be how the Razorbacks defend all of these guards. Um, Musman mentioned going to a shorter rotation that'll probably involve six players, maybe seven, and you know that rotation isn't full of a lot of really good defending guards. Uh, when you when you think about the rotation, that's going to be Jalen Williams, Justin Smith, Moses Moody, uh, Devonte Davis, Jalen Tate and Desi Sills as your official six who have somewhat secured their place in the lineup. And so out of those, you know, you have Moody's a legitimate defender, but he's not necessarily super fast. He's athletic, he can defend well, he finds himself in the right spots, he's long, he can contest shots. Not the best defender to stop uh, stop a, a, the dribble drive. He's not necessarily the best um, to defend a super speedy guard. And he wouldn't be asked to guard Scottie Pippen. Um, Jordan Wright hasn't started um, this year. He comes off the bench and averages over eight points a game. But that'll be a matchup for Moody uh, or uh, DJ Harvey. But it's going to be interesting to see. DJ Harvey could be a Tate matchup too. But you know, it's going to be really interesting to see if uh, Devontae Davis or if Desi Sills or who is put on Scottie Pippen. And they have another guard, Trey Thomas, at 5'11". You know, Arkansas's guards are long and lanky, um, with the exception of Sills. But they're they're long, and they're not necessarily the most athletic, uh, excluding Devontae Davis. So these are small athletic guards that really execute the dribble drive well, and in conference play have been shooting the three ball pretty effectively. They're third in the conference in, uh, in from the three-point line, shooting 37%. Arkansas, in conference, is 11th in allowing teams to shoot 36%. So that'll be an interesting uh, statistic to watch for that game, uh, similar to the Alabama game, you know. Uh, I mentioned uh, going into the Alabama game that 
they were one, I think it was one in three when they shot below 30%, but they were undefeated when they shot over 30% from the three-point line. I don't, I haven't researched that sort of a statistic for Vanderbilt, but if you're shooting 37% from the three-point line and you haven't won a conference game, eventually you're going to win a conference game. You know, you, it's, it's very rare do you see teams shoot that well from the three-point line and just not win games. But Vanderbilt has managed that so far. Um, and because they play so many guards and because Arkansas is limiting their roster, you're going to see, okay, um, are Arkansas's guys going to get tired having to defend this dribble drive uh, against these smaller guards who are going to still shoot the ball? Um, is Arkansas going to get in foul trouble and are we going to have to go deeper into the bench? Or do we try to play through foul trouble, sort of like we did against Auburn? You know, Devontae Davis had four. Jalen Tate had five, fouled out of the game eventually. But it's just going to be some, some of those interesting dynamics. Now, a huge key for Arkansas is to attack and get to the free throw line. Um Vanderbilt fouls more than any other team in the SEC. They foul 23 times a game. Now, Arkansas is shooting 75.3% from the free throw line, second best in the conference, which first best is actually Vanderbilt at 76.3%. So I really think if you get to the free throw line, you, you get Vanderbilt to start fouling, you get them in foul trouble, and you score from the free throw line, you change the dynamic of the game. Um, Vanderbilt is really good at not allowing teams to get second possessions. They allow the fewest offensive rebounds in SEC play, uh, only allowing 5.8. So it's going to be really crucial to have efficient possessions if you're Arkansas scoring um, on your first shot or scoring at the free throw line. You're not going to get a whole lot of second chance opportunities. Um Unless, you know, you have Justin Smith and Jalen Williams just completely going ham in the paint on the offensive glass, which they have, they have done this year. So that'll be another interesting matchup to watch. They don't, Vanderbilt does not turn the ball over a lot, and I think that's because they play with so many guards. Like I said earlier, uh, guards by committee. They will play up to five, six, seven guards um, pretty regularly, regularly and heavily in their rotation. They only turn the ball over 12.8 times a game. That's second in the conference. Arkansas, on the other hand, turns it over 15 times a game. And we've seen even more than that at times, too. So you just you, you look at all these stats, and it really it, it, it leads to an interesting matchup because on, on paper, Vanderbilt does not look like a team that should beat Arkansas. They haven't won a conference game. Um, they don't necessarily have a lot of name recognition or, or talent or anything like that, but they do have Arkansas's weakness, and that's small guards that can penetrate and, and kill the defense. So it's it's really going to be crucial to shut down Scottie Pippen because he's going to be the facilitator. He's going to be the guy who's the driving force behind anything that Vanderbilt does offensively. So if Arkansas can manage to stop Scottie Pippen, then you know you can stop Vanderbilt and you can get another SEC road win, which I think I think this should be a quad two if Arkansas manages to win. I, I won't swear by that, but should be a quad two when 
And if the Razorbacks manage to win, that'll put them back at 500 uh, in conference play, put them at 12 and 4. And you have a stretch of games where you can potentially pick up some more quality wins. And I'm not going to say it's a must win game because I hate that phrase. Every game is technically a must win game when you think about it. But if Arkansas does manage to lose this game, after the way they lost the Alabama game and the LSU game, and the way they started the Auburn game, if they if they somehow drop this game to Vanderbilt, it it'll really it'll spell trouble for the rest of this season. It won't. That's not me saying that Arkansas won't make the NCAA tournament if they lose to Vanderbilt. That's not saying I think Arkansas will lose to Vanderbilt, but it is an SEC road game. There won't be any crowd, which. You watch the the Arkansas-Auburn game. The crowd is what spurned that run, it seemed like. Uh, the crowd was really digging in deep and trying to get the, the Razorbacks to, to play with some fire, get to play with some energy, and they did. Um, that was as loud. that Those 4,000 people, or however many uh, were in the stands, were as loud as any crowd I've heard on TV all year, which is really impressive and really speaks to, to the passion of Razorback fans. But you take that away... I don't know if Arkansas wins last or not last night, but Wednesday. The the crowd played a huge part in that. Vanderbilt's only having immediate family at their stadium, and you know that's going to be a lot quieter of an environment. It's going to be a road game. It's going to be that funky Vanderbilt gym where the benches are on the ends. You know, it's it's just it's an interesting dynamic and then the matchup of having a Scotty Pippen Jr on the Vanderbilt basketball team and the other guards that can play you know it just really does bring uh, some sort of feeling of caution for me um, especially after the five the last six halves of basketball that we've watched now on the other hand Arkansas manages to go into into uh, Nashville and beat Vanderbilt then they, for the sake of argument, let's say they beat Ole Miss next. Well, then you're riding a three-game winning streak. You're back positive in the SEC column, above 500 in the SEC column at five and four, with a 13 and four record overall. And then you have some more winnable games after that too. But you're riding a three-game winning streak at that point in the heart of your SEC schedule. So it's really. When I say I don't like saying it's a must-win game, this game really could determine a whole lot of things as far as momentum goes, as far as perception goes, as far as confidence goes, and as far as success the rest of the season goes. Um, at this point, I I really think Arkansas can pull this out. I'm still hesitant because of the matchup and because of all the things I just rambled on about, about it being a road game with no fans and all that sort of stuff. Um, But right now, I think Arkansas can go in there and not shut down Pippen, but prevent him from being as dynamic as he usually is and hold him to 10 to 15 points. He might still get 20. Keep him down on assist, force other guys to try to create around him, and contain some of their other guys, and like Wright and Disu. And you know, I think Arkansas walks out with a five to ten point win, if not more. Um, 
Vanderbilt goes as Pippen goes and as Dsu goes, and if you at least limit them, it's going to be difficult for them to win. So, I guess my prediction, Arkansas, I'll split the difference. Arkansas by eight. Okay, so now I have some questions from followers on Twitter. Um, Like I said earlier, if you want to have your question read and answered on the podcast, uh, turn some uh, tweet notifications on and or just be looking out for whenever I tweet out, hey, I'm about to record my podcast. Here, uh, Give me some questions or comments you want me to touch on. So I got that right now. Um, Austin Schaefer asks, do you think Jalen Harris would have made this team better? He was a true point guard who could not only take care of the basketball but could share the ball. Now, I'll say, yes, I absolutely believe that uh, Jalen Harris was going to help this basketball team. You look at what Arkansas has struggled with the most, and that's point guard play. Um, Be it turnovers, be it being able to create off the bounce or anything uh, like that. I think Jalen Harris, even though he could not shoot the three ball outstanding, you know, he wasn't an outstanding three-point shooter, uh, but he did improve when he played for Musselman last season. Um, he's very strong on the dribble drive. And he's a pretty good defender, too. Even though he doesn't have a whole lot of size, anything like that, he's a dynamic ball handler. He can create plays. He's proven he can at least shoot a little bit. He can be somewhat of a shooting threat. Um, and I, I really do think he would have helped this program. Yeah, absolutely. Andrew Ingram is our inconsistent play a result of bad coaching, bad effort, just a lack of Jimmys and Joes, or a combination of all three? I can't figure it out. Well, Andrew, that's definitely uh, the million-dollar question here. What what was a result, or what what caused the slump over the past five halves of basketball that we watched against Alabama, LSU, and the first half of, of Auburn? You know, I think it's, it's a lot of things. I think the team, number one, I don't think it's as talented, or, and I don't think there's as much depth um, as we all thought going in, myself included. Uh, number two, I think the chemistry isn't as good as it needs to be. Um, three, I think coaching could be a part of it in the sense that some of the rotations kind of puzzle me. Um some of the positions the players are playing kind of puzzles me um, and that sort of stuff. But as far as X's and O's, aside from rotation and, and positions players find themselves on the court, you know, Musk really is one of the best in the game as far as X's and O's goes. But that being said, I don't think Jalen Tate should be playing on the ball as much as he is. I think that should have been a Devontae Davis uh, type thing where Devo should have been getting reps in in the non-conference schedule as point guard and playing point guard in the conference schedule. Um, I don't think J.D. Note should have been playing on the ball as much either. Um, You see that when I talk about rotations and and positions and stuff, you had Jalen Tate being on ball with J.D. Note 
splitting time with him when they were on the court together. But main, mainly, I think you would have Note off the ball, which is fine. That's what he needs to be. JD needs to be off the ball. But then when you would bring Devontae Davis in for Jalen Tate, instead of Devo being on ball, you, you, you give the ball to JD. He, he's a dynamic playmaker. Don't get me wrong. Great ball handler and can do a lot. But he's, his natural position is off the ball. Devo's natural position is on the ball. And so you essentially flip them from their natural position. You have Devo playing off. You have JD playing on. And it just I really think that has stifled some of the offense sometimes because people are playing out of their normal positions. Um, but I think those, those are some of the biggest issues, uh, in my opinion. Wayne Floyd asked, and I'm kind of... I'm using his question, but Maurice Templeton also asked this too um, in a different way, so I'll mention both of y'all. But Wayne Floyd's question, Is our approach to transfers wrong? We seem to have more misses than hits. Is it better to build based on freshmen than augment with one, uh, one or more grad transfers? Yeah, um... I'm not necessarily going to say that our approach to transfers is wrong. Um, it Obviously, it worked at Nevada for Musselman. Um, went to a Sweet 16 in year three, I think. And, you know, he completely revamped that roster, completely brought in all, all these grad transfers and stuff, and got them to play with some solid chemistry and produce some NBA talent out of it. Um, the issue becomes um, when, when you bring in guys to a more competitive conference than the Mountain West, and you bring in guys from UNCGW, from Stetson, from Jacksonville, from like all these places, you don't know exactly how they're going to translate their game from mid-major or low-major basketball to high-major basketball. Now, Vance Jackson was his top 100 recruit and committed to UConn. Then he transferred to New Mexico and all that sort of stuff. Um, so he was he was at least more predictable, one would have thought. And, and the expectations on him coming into the year were very high, and he has not lived up to them. Gene Talsilla last year uh, came in. He was a thousand point scorer at his previous school, and he barely saw the court at Arkansas. Jimmy Witt came from SMU, which is in the AAC. You know, you play against Memphis, play against uh, Houston. You have SMU in that conference. It's a legitimate basketball conference, and Jimmy was a four star out of high school and who originally committed to Arkansas. He played really well last year. Jalen Tate is he played really well in the non-con, uh, and he's played okay in conference, but he's turned the ball over a lot, and he's like I said, he's not exactly a necessarily a point guard. Um, you have other guys, Connor Vanover coming from Cal. It's high major to high major, and I I mentioned him earlier about his weight. Um, J.D. Note just being really inconsistent. He can score a lot at times. He forces a lot of things. He doesn't really play defense, you know. Um, we don't know anything about 
uh, Bebe. We don't know anything about Kamani Johnson other than what they did at their previous stops. Um, so, you know, it's hard to say that the, the approach is wrong. I mean, just Justin Smith, too, he came from Indiana and also done really well here, but that's high major to high major. That's So I think... You know, I don't, I don't necessarily think the approach is wrong to go with grad transfers and fill in with freshmen. I think the trouble you run into is when you bring in 11 new guys in one offseason. It was 10, but then we added Kamani Johnson uh, in the middle of the year this year. So 11 new players on this one roster, and you're only given 13 scholarship spots. I mean, that's not including the, the walk-ons that we brought in, too, because I think every single walk-on is new, too, this year. So you have a completely different locker room than you had last year, aside from Desi Sills and um, Ethan Henderson. Obviously, Connor Vanover and J.D. Note were here last year. They got reps last year. But as far as actually playing in games with these people, there's no chemistry whatsoever, at least coming into the year. So I think... One could, one could make that argument, and I understand why people are, are asking this question, because it's a legitimate question to ask. Is this the wrong uh, approach to, to build a roster around? I'm not going to say it's wrong. I think the biggest issue is trying to evaluate the talent that you get. And there, there are a lot of guys. Musselman is in on a lot of guys, and he's looking at their skill set, their film, their personality, how they'd fit into the locker room, so many different things. And you look on social media, on Twitter, and all that sort of stuff, you see how we. it seems like the Razorbacks are in contact with every single grad transfer there is. So he, he throws out a lot of, of, of interest. He casts a wide net, and he tries to go after the, the big names, you know, the the Hauser brothers, I think is their names, that ended up at uh, Michigan State, and I forget where the other one ended up. Um, the St. John's transferred, the uh, Figueroa, who ended up at Oregon. Um, all those sorts of guys, you know, those are guys that Musselman had on his radar and, and tried to land, and just it didn't work out. Um, so he ended up going elsewhere. So I think when you when you open up your your roster when you when you have a lot of open roster spots obviously ideally you're going to try to land the absolute best talent to fill those roster spots with. And when that doesn't work you go with the next best and so on and so forth. So missing on a couple of guys early on can kind of put you back in this in this method, it's it's similar to just recruiting high school kids. You miss on a five star, uh, you go on a, you go after a four star or something like that. You know, I don't necessarily think it's wrong. Uh, I guess uh, my method would be, you know, more. I I don't even know what my method would be. I'm not a college coach. I don't know the ins and outs of recruiting. I can't sit here and say what I would do differently. Um, these are just some observations I'm noticing, I guess. Um, but definitely, you you all, you still want to recruit freshmen, no doubt, because uh, that you even even four star and some some but not as many five star recruits are going to be your players that are there for two plus years, three plus years that you can really build a program around, um, and that 
it just works. When you can add to those guys with grad transfers and stuff like that, I think you really do have the most optimized roster. But I don't think you should necessarily try to completely overhaul a roster every year. I'm not saying that's what Musselman intends to do every single year. Um, It's just what he had to do for this year. Um, Tucker asks, is Moses getting tired? Seems like he's played a lot of minutes, and it's starting to show. Lots of shots hitting the front of the rim. Um, I could see that, you know, he's playing 33 minutes a game. Next guy playing the, the, or the, the guy playing the second most minutes is playing 27 minutes a game. Uh, he's our leading scorer, best player. And without Justin Smith, defenses are really able to key in on him a lot. So I think it's a combination of Moses playing a lot of minutes, having defenses really key on him, having an absence of Justin Smith for a bit, as well as having Desi Sills in a slump and not hitting shots. Um, I think it's just a culmination of a lot of things that really went along with with the bad stretch. But, you know, even with all that, he put up 28 points against Alabama. Um, And, I mean, I know he didn't score until eight minutes left in the second half against Auburn, but he played pretty decent defensively and still put up decent amount of points against Auburn. I think it was, uh, yeah, he scored five points, had five rebounds and a couple assists. So, I mean, he didn't, he didn't play bad, uh, but he didn't make any shots hardly. He's two out of nine and over four from three. He could be getting tired. He played 32 minutes, uh, again against Auburn. Um, so did Desi and Jalen Tate played 34, but I don't know if it's necessarily being tired because he is 18, you know, uh, that was part of Musselman's philosophy, you know, uh, when he got brought in. Um, people were asking, well, you only play seven players in your rotation, eight players in your rotation. Do they not get tired? His whole thing was, well, if these guys want to go to the NBA, they're going to have to play like that in the NBA, quick turnarounds, and there's more of a break in college basketball. I don't know if Moody is tired. It would be purely speculative if I said he was. I could see if he was, but, again, I kind of agree with Musselman on this that – there's more of a break between games in college and the NBA. There are fewer games in college than in the NBA. Uh, his body is young. Uh, it can put up with a lot more. I don't necessarily think it's a tired thing. Uh, not strictly a tired thing, at least. Okay, this little piggy ask. Uh, seems like Musk has a specific role for Jalen. He's a good shooter, great passer, and great in the pick and roll. I've seen many times they don't look for him and he's wide open on a roll. Do you think Muss is limiting his and the team's potential by confining him to this role? I commented back on Twitter uh, my answer, and then uh, this little piggy kind of came back with a different version of of the question um, along the same premise, and I said I'd watch some film. And it seems like, you know, Jalen Williams is a true freshman, and Musselman has been very vocal about saying, you know, True freshmen take longer to develop and perform at a higher level when they're post players. True freshmen post players take longer to develop and kind of find their role. And in order to kind of ease him along, you you don't want to add too you don't want to put too much burden on him. So I don't think necessarily that Muss is limiting Jalen's potential I think he's trying to get the most out of him as early as he can by not asking him to do too much now going back and watching the film and seeing how you know what this little piggy was mentioning 
pick and roll and he'd be open on the cut or he'd be open on a fade to the outside for an open shot or for an open uh, run to the rim. I don't think that's something that Musselman is telling his guys not to look for. I think that's something that guys just aren't seeing. Uh, yeah, I mean, there are a few possessions where he does get the ball and he makes something happen, um, but it's not often. Uh, I think it is just something that, for whatever reason, is not being seen right now. UK Hog asks, with Muss admitting he will shorten the rotation, who do you think will be on the outside looking in? I mentioned earlier who I thought the the main six would be. Um, that's Williams, Smith, Moody, Devo, Tate, and Sills. I think they've pretty much solidified their spots. And then I think seven, if he shortened the rotation to seven, I really think that seventh spot is going to depend on matchup and... Uh, practice and performance and all that, all that sort of stuff. But I think it's going to be up between JD and uh, Connor Vanover uh, for the most part. Um, David Allshare asks, I think you have to put Jack, or he's, it's a comment. I think you have to put Jackson in the rotation. He can shoot and has low post skills. Needs to work on his intensity though. In my opinion, he needs more minutes. I don't disagree with that, but I will say the staff at this point, with as poorly as the team has played and, and, and the lack of effort that they have played with, they are looking for consistency at this point because they want to win consistently um, moving forward. They want to play consistently. Um, Vance Jackson has not been consistent this year. He's been really good at times. He's been really bad at times. And he's not a great defender, so I think... I think he's going to be on the outside looking in. I don't think he's going to get a whole lot of minutes moving forward unless he just absolutely steps up and starts being more consistent with his shot and on the defensive end. All right, well, that should do it for this episode of the JC Hoops podcast. Thank you guys for tuning in again. Uh, I'll be back next week, hopefully, with some reactions to, hopefully good reactions to the, the Vanderbilt game and looking forward to the Ole Miss game. Um, might be after the Ole Miss game. Who knows at this point? But looking forward to talking ball with y'all again. I appreciate all the comments, all the questions that y'all had for me. Uh, thank you, and I will see y'all later.